Who's taken Builder Wellspring before? Okay, good. Who's taking Builder Wellspring for the first time this year? Okay, pretty even mix. Uh, praise God. All right, uh, the reason I ask that is because we're going to be presenting something here that may be new to you. It may be something that you may never have heard before. And what we're going to be spending most of the year doing here at Build and Wellspring is understanding from a biblical perspective how to counsel or shepherd, how to inform our heart on a regular basis by meeting alone with the Lord in prayer and in the, in the Word. So the goal of Build and Wellspring, among other things, first and foremost, is to cultivate within each one of us a stronger habit, a stronger desire, a stronger hunger for our own relationship with the Lord through meeting alone with Him in the Word and meeting alone with Him in prayer. So that's why we're going to be here. That's the aim of Build and Wellspring. And what happens when we do that is that our homes become more Christ-centered and this church becomes a stronger church. And so Build and Wellspring is here because we want to help individuals grow in their relationship with the Lord. We want to teach them how to do that through prayer and reading the Word. We also want to make Grace Bible Church a more God-centered, Christ-centered church. So to understand that, we... Um, need to understand what the purpose and the vision of Grace Bible Church is. So we're going to spend the first of our 15 weeks together just understanding why we're here at Grace Bible Church and why we do things the way that we do and what it is that we do. And I hope that really helps you understand how things work here because that informs everything about how we interact with everybody here at this church, whether it's here on Sundays or in small groups or whatever else it is that we do with the other ministries we have here at Grace. Understanding the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church is foundational to everything. So that's why we start here with this the way we do. So Scott will be teaching us for about an hour on that. Like I said, after we're done with the teaching, the guys are going to go to the sevens and the eights classroom. The girls are going to go to what's always been referred to as the build classroom, the one with the big windows by the food. And you're going to hear the details of how build is going to work for guys and how Wellspring works for girls. And we do things a little bit differently. But what we'll do is we'll run through our particular schedule of how we're going to break up our Saturdays. We're going to hear about what discussion groups are. We're going to hear about the homework. We're going to hear about um, why it is that we meet together in those discussion groups and what we attempt to accomplish. We're also going to just walk through the notebook that you received when you got this here this morning and just explain what each of the three sections in the notebook is for and why it's, it's so helpful to use. It's such a good tool to help us stay faithful to the task of shepherding our own heart with God's word and meeting with the Lord in prayer and in the study of his word. So that's what we're going to be doing. So we'll be here till about 8.15 or so. We'll head back that way. Maybe you can grab a little bit more food, break up into boys and girls, and we hope to be done by 9 o'clock this morning and you can be on your way. Okay? So I'll turn it over to Scott, and he'll teach us about the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. Okay. Uh, there's an outline that you got handed out to you in your notebook, and what you got today, the, it's with a paperclip section um, that you got. So that's what you can take some notes on. Normally we don't meet in here, but you guys made us because there's so many of you. We can't all fit in one classroom where you get to sit at a table and you get to have your notebook open and coffee and drink and food on the table. You just sit all nice and comfortable there. Here you have to keep it all in your lap and not spill your coffee. 
Uh, one thing I do want to just add briefly before we get started with, with what Scott said about the, um, you know, shepherding your heart, discipling your heart, you know, controlling yourself, um, especially when you're reading your Bible. Um, my experience has been in, you know, being a, an elder for 20 years or so, uh, is that you should not assume that Christians know how to do that. And so, Grace Bible Church, we just don't. That, that doesn't mean that we think you're a bunch of knuckleheads, um, although we kind of do, because you're just like us knuckleheads. We're all in the same knucklehead boat together, but um, we don't want to assume that a Christian knows what to do when their Bible's open. We want to actually talk about that together. We want to learn how to do that together. We want to train each other how to do that. And um, just because your Bible's open doesn't mean the right things are happening. I've come to the Bible and spent time there for a lot of other lower reasons, far below the, the highest reason, which is to know God and to meet with Him and to worship Him and to love Him and fear Him more and enjoy Him more there. Um, it is possible to go to your Bible to check off a list, to check it off the list so that you can, when you go to your accountability group, your small group or whatever, go, yeah, I did that. And that was all it was for. Um, that's not a high enough reason to go to the Word of God. So we want to make sure that we're learning that together, and then we take that into our homes, and then we take that into our church. And um, on the men's side of things, if, if a church is not purposefully, you know, discipling men to do that, to really inform their character and have their, their own hearts shaped and impacted by the Word of God, and then that makes an, an impact on their leadership in their homes, and then they take that into church. If the church isn't focusing on that and pushing that, where are elders going to come from? Where's church leadership going to come from? We just, is it just supposed to happen on its own? Um, listen, Jesus loves the church more than anybody here does, all put together, all of us put together. Um, and he will preserve his church, and he will bring leaders to it. But don't, don't we want to participate with that? And so these are, we call these disciplines. Discipline one, the heart. Discipline two, the home. Discipline three, the ministry. The men have a couple others, but those are the foundational ones. And they're called disciplines for a reason. I've never woken up and realized it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I've been reading my Bible for two hours. Wow, how did that happen? I have no idea. It just happened to me. And it's never that way. You and I must discipline ourselves to drag our sorry carcasses out of bed, put a cup of coffee in front of us, and open up our Bibles and meet with the Lord. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. And I've never come home and realized two hours later after I've been home with my family, wow, I've been really caring for my family well. How did that happen? No, the drive home is, uh, here we go, uh, stepping into the ministry of my home. Here's how I have to be thinking about my wife. I have no idea what she's been dealing with today. I need to be ready to help her come alongside here. I have no idea what condition my children are in. I need to be ready for that. I step into my home. And it's a discipline. All of these are disciplines. And nobody can do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you guys. Women, your husbands can't do it for you. Your kids can't do it for you. Your elders can't do it for you. Your church can't do it. You must discipline yourself to do this. And this is what we're all about in Building Wellspring. Um, for the purpose that Jesus Christ is glorified in our lives. Um, so we want to do that. And it starts, again, with just who we are as a church. This is not a parachurch ministry. This is a subset ministry of the church. Um, Build and Wellspring are a tool to help you walk more closely with Jesus Christ. Build and Wellspring are not a target. They're a tool to get you where 
you need to be in your relationship with Christ. So let's start by talking this morning about the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. You see it up there at the top of your page. Um, you see it on the bulletin every time you come into church, if you look at it. Um, it, the middle statement is the big one. A biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. Every word is measured and thought of carefully. And what we mean by that in the biblical vision, as you look above there, it says it's about the glory of God, the cross of Christ, the life transformation by the Spirit, and the gospel purpose for us is about drawing in sinners, building up believers in Christ, and sending out believers into the world. That's what we're aiming at. Um, it's been said that if you aim at nothing, you, you don't have a whole lot of guarantee that you're going to hit the target, the right target in life. And certainly if you aim at the wrong target in life, you can't have hope that you'll hit the right target in life or the right goal in life. Your only hope at hitting the right target of life is to know what it is. And then with all of your might, relying on God's grace and his strength in your life, to throw all of your energies at it. And so as a church, we don't want to aim at nothing. And we certainly don't want to aim at the wrong target. And there's a lot of wrong targets out there for churches to aim at these days, are there not? So we try to make sure that we have the right target to direct our energies toward. Uh, we have to strive for it, not by our own strength. We will certainly fail if we do that, but we want to rely on God's word. We want to rely on his spirit's strength within us. And we need to abandon the, the wisdom of the godless culture that we live in. We need to abandon the business trends that churches try to bring into their church families that, that make corporations work, but they can't even begin to address the life and the unity that we have as a church family. The church is not a business. And we need to abandon the trendy trends that evangelicalism runs greedily toward one after another, after another, after another. Listen, uh, 20 years from now, we need to be doing the same thing, discipling men and women to know Jesus Christ so that we are more uh, a sharper instrument in the hand of God as we live out in the world where we are for the salvation of sinners until he comes back. Until Jesus comes back. So this vision and purpose statement for Grace Bible Church functions like a tool to help us aim at the right target. It's a, it's a simpler way to summarize really what this is all about, what this book is all about. Um, the only thing we need in this endeavor is this book, is this Bible. That alone tells us what the target is, and that alone directs us step by step toward the right goal for our church so then what is the statement that we have here? If all we need is the Bible, what is the statement here? It's, it's one way to distill the message of this book. It's one way to try to summarize what the Bible says in its entirety. Now, does this summary statement say everything the Bible says? No. And no summary statement ever can. Um, but it does try to grab some of the main lines and strands and themes of the Bible and of the gospel and the mission of the church in the gospel. So it begins broadly. Do you notice that up at the top? A biblical vision. You see the word Bible in there. It's a Bible vision. Our vision, what we want to set our sights on is as wide as the Bible is wide. And then it narrows down specifically into a gospel purpose. A gospel purpose as defined by the gospel of Jesus. The gospel mission of Jesus. This, uh, this book is the Bible. It is not the gospel. You don't say, open up your gospel now and, and let's read from it. No, the, but the gospel is the crown jewel within the Bible. As you read the Bible, the Bible leads you to the gospel within it. And so we want both of those things. We want all of the Bible and we want the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So we start by focusing our sights on all of the Bible, and then we eventually narrow it down into activity, a gospel purpose in the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. And do you notice that both of them are in a triad form? Uh, the biblical vision is, is triune. We're, we're thinking about the glory of God the Father. We're thinking about the cross of Jesus the Son. And we're thinking about transformation of life by the Spirit. Um, and then the triad for the gospel activity is drawing in, building up, and sending out. So the vision part focuses on a person, a triune God. And the purpose focuses on activity. And I love this about this target that we put before our, our church because first we want to focus on a person, God, and all of his triune greatness. And then we get to action. Then we're moved to action. So his son's task for us follows our first paused worship of him in our pursuit of him. First we worship, first we fear God, first we love God, then we get to work for his son's sake. So let's take a look at each one of these. Number one, a biblical vision of God. What do we mean by vision? We intend to use a word from the sight family of words on purpose. By vision, we mean we want to see the God of the Bible with the eyes of our hearts and minds. We want to see the God of the Bible with our hearts and minds. And that side of him we want comes only through this book. It doesn't come through dreams and visions or anything else. If that's what you're all about, it's going to be a it's going to be a, a transition coming into Grace Bible Church. Um, so we want to see God through the scriptures. We want to see God reveal himself to us in the word of God. He is putting himself on display there. And so we call it a biblical vision, a vision determined by the Bible. We don't have visions of him elsewhere. Uh, we don't use the word in that sense. We see God by these scriptures and we see him in these scriptures only. And what do these scriptures set our eyes on? One way to summarize the grand revelation of God in the Bible is with this triad. He's, he's the God of glory. And he's the Christ of the cross. And he is the Holy Spirit who brings about an amazing transformation of life. So I'll start first with the glory of God. We want to set our sights on the glory of God. The word glory in your Bible means um, uh, a weightiness. Weightiness. Impressiveness. It, the, the, the splendor of something, the immeasurable worth of something, the overwhelmingness of it. The, the word in the Hebrew refers to heavy. God is heavy. The, the contrast you'll see is like in um, like Psalm, I think it's 67, 60, in the later 60s. Man is like a breath that goes up. In a balance, he's like a tottering fence, man is. When we were in Florida, there were all kinds of wood fences that had just been blown over. I mean, they're just gone after the hurricane when we were there last week. Man is like a tottering fence. He goes up in the balances and the scales. God is a cliff wall that David climbs into to get safety and refuge from God. That's heavy. Glory means impressiveness or overwhelmingness of something. When it's used in reference to God, that means that he has a worth beyond measure. He has a splendor beyond measure. He has impressiveness. He is overwhelming. And in regards to God, in Scripture, God appears to communicate 
that something of himself. He, he manifests his glory in connection with radiant, brilliant light. You notice that as you've read, especially if you, as you read about Moses' encounter with God. There's just radiant, brilliant light, and Moses is afraid. It's terrifying to come into this overwhelmingness of God. You don't gaze on it like Christmas lights on a tree. You can drive around at night and look at Christmas lights and go, oh, that's beautiful. That's not God's brilliant light. People are amazed that they're still alive after they were in the presence of that brilliant, weighty, impressive light of God, the glory of God. And there's a sense in the Bible in which God's glory is that which he uses at special moments to reveal himself to man in a way that the man can receive it and survive. Write these passages down. John 1.18. It might be in your notes already. I can't remember if these are included. But John 1.18. John said, no one has seen God at any time. And then let's turn to Exodus 33 because we're going to be in Exodus for a little bit this morning. Exodus 33. I want you to see this. Moses is up on the mountain and the glory of God is all around him. And God says to Moses in Exodus 33, verse 20, he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Listen, there's a, there's a, this is the reality. This immortal, this perishable body is not fit for what is immortal and imperishable who is God. This condition you and I are in, that Moses is in, that anybody is in who's ever been alive, is not in a condition to look full on in the full face of God. We will die if we do that. So how then does God communicate himself and draw near to the prophet? He communicates to him through his glory, his weightiness, and he attaches brilliant, splendorous light to it. And that human is overwhelmed by what he sees, but can take in the glory of God and not die. He communicates, reveals something of himself in a weighty and impressive, radiant form that man is capable of soaking in and surviving. Now let's see how our Bible ties this all together. You're in Exodus 33. You remember the story. This is after the golden calf that Israel has blown at big time. God has been up on the mountain um, at Sinai with Moses giving him all of the law and the instructions for the tabernacle. And Moses comes down and they've made an idol and they've been worshiping it. God says, that's it. I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel ahead of you, but I'm not going with you guys. I'll kill you if I go. And Moses begs him in Exodus 33, look at verse 18. Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. He finally persuades God to go with them, and he wants to see the radiant, impressive splendor of God. So Moses is on a mountain, and the radiant glory of God is there with him. Now, go to Luke chapter 9. Let's tie our Old Testament and our New Testament together. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke 9:28. Some eight days later, after these sayings, Jesus took along Peter, John, and James, and he went up on the mountain. Oh, so now we're on another mountain. It's like it was in Exodus 33. And while Jesus was praying, the, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. There's radiant, brilliant light 
penetrating from the man Jesus. So now there's radiant glory up on a mountain in the New Testament. And look at verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses. Moses is there on the, this is just like what we just saw and read in Exodus 33. Except Elijah's there. And so now you've got the law and the prophets represented through these two prophets. You have the Old Testament in person form meeting with the radiant, impressive, weighty splendor of God in the face of Jesus Christ on a mountain. And you know the rest of the story. I mean, Peter's clueless. He's like, three tabernacles would be good. Let's make three tents, one for each of you. You're all equal in my mind. And God the Father says, no. One of these things is not like the other. Um, My son is above these representatives of the law. My son is the one whom the law and the prophets pointed to. Listen to him. So you see your Bible, this is a strand in your Bible. That's just one way to show how the glory of God runs through the rebar of your, is the rebar running through the the, the setting of, of Old Testament and New Testament scripture. There's another way to look at it. You can write these down. We won't take the time to do it today. But Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, you know that chapter. Isaiah sees the glory of God in a vision in the heavenly temple. And then John tells us in John 12, Verses 37 to 41. So take these two passages and link them together. Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, and John 12, uh, 37 to 41. John tells us that who Isaiah saw in all of that radiant glory was the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Messiah, pre-incarnate. So from the Older Testament into the Newer Testament, the glory of God is a central theme of the Bible. And so we want to set our sights on that God of that kind of weightiness and impressiveness and splendor. And you say, well, what difference should that make in my life on a daily basis? It should make every bit of difference. Christians talk a lot about how important it is to glorify God with your life. That's a way of saying magnify him, to please him, to exalt him. And we should never stop talking about that. But there's something you can do before you run out into the day to try to glorify God. And that is come to these scriptures and soak in the glory of God. Expose your heart, expose your mind every day once again to the weightiness and the splendor of God revealed in this book. When you do that, what difference will it make in how you go out and glorify God? It'll make a huge difference. It's like the fuel for your heart and your mind. You don't want to go out into the day on fumes thinking, how am I going to glorify God? No, fill up with the weightiness and the splendor. Drink in the glory of God in Scripture. As you're in a passage, ask yourself, what is impressive about God here that I must see? What is overwhelming about my Savior in this text that I'm considering? Lord, help me to linger here a little longer. I want to glorify you with my life, but not before I have first like Moses cried out and said, show me your glory, except we have our Bibles open. He was desperate to see the God of glory. And that positioned him to come down off the mountain and be pleasing to the Lord. So open your Bible each day with a cry of desperation, plead with God to show you his weightiness in the pages of scripture. And then you'll be positioned pretty well to glorify God in your life. Secondly, what do the scriptures help us to set the eyes of our hearts and minds on? Um, The most shocking event in all of the Bible, in all of human history. Number two, the cross of Christ. How is Christ's death at the cross related to God's glory? This is amazing. 
The weightiness of God, the impressiveness of God, the radiant brilliance of God, get this, in Scripture, is inseparably tied to the shed blood of a substitute. From Old Testament to New Testament. The weighty, radiant splendor of God is cannot be separated away from bloodshed and the blood specifically of an innocent substitute. In the Old Testament, God in all of his glory was enveloping the mountain, Mount Sinai, after Exodus, or after the after the Exodus was taken had taken place. Go back to Exodus. I want to take you to chapter 24. Exodus 24, verse 16. This is great. I love this. So I, when I think about the Mount Sinai, I, I don't know how big it was. Um, some of you may have an idea of maybe a better scale of it. But I, I kind of, in my mind, I think of something maybe like Camelback Mountain. Something like that. Now, verse 16. Imagine, imagine all of Israel in tents at the bottom of Camelback Mountain. Something like that. And they've been told, don't, don't get up and touch it. Don't let the animals get near it, because they'll die. Verse 16 of Exodus 24, the glory of Yahweh rested on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. So that the mountain is just being consumed by fire at the top. And Moses entered into that. He walked right into the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And he was living on the word of God alone. He didn't even eat bread. So there is the mountain just being overwhelmed. The mountain was quaking. The mountain was giving way under the weightiness and the overwhelmingness of God. And then through a mosaic law that had been given, God revealed that he wanted that manifestation of his glory. He wanted his glorious presence that led Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. He wanted that glorious presence of his to dwell in a tent. That's just shocking. That's, that's almost ridiculous. All of Israel's down below in tents, and the, the glory of God in the radiant fire of God up on top of the mountain that's consuming the mountain, he says, I want a tent too. And put my tent in the middle of all the other tents. And I'll put my glory in there. And God prescribed through Mosaic law in that tent where his glory would dwell, he prescribed that the blood of an innocent substitute would be shed over and over and over and over and over and over in the place of worshipers. His radiant, impressive glory in a tent and shed blood everywhere. That is a huge setup for what's coming in progressive revelation as you get to the New Testament. God fused his glory and the blood of the substitute together from the earliest pages of Scripture. In fact, before his glory ever even entered into that tent, Moses had to take blood and sprinkle it all over Aaron and all over all the tools and all over the tent, all over the doorway, all over everything. And when he finished putting the blood of the substitute everywhere to, to set that tent apart, then the glory of God entered in. Now go to Exodus 33 at the end. I'm sorry, Exodus 40. 
verses 34 to 38, Exodus 40. These are the last verses of Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And you know that whenever the, the pillar of cloud set up and started to move, they, they moved. They followed the weightiness and the impressiveness of their God, and they packed up the tent, and they moved along with him. Now notice how Leviticus chapter 1 starts. There, there's no, in a sense, no chapter break, no book break. Look, then... Next, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the field, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent, meaning that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him as a substitute. This animal in place of me that he may be accepted um, for him to make atonement on his behalf. Atonement. That's what's going on. Exodus ends with the radiant glory of God filling the tent. Leviticus begins with the blood of an innocent substitute in the place of the worshiper in the tent. The fusion of God's glory and a substitute's blood reached its climax not there. But where? The cross of Jesus Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Again, what we're trying to show you is that this is a good way to summarize your Bible. All of it. The glory of God is like a rebar running through the middle of the setting of Scripture, and so is the cross of Jesus Christ, or the shed blood of an innocent substitute. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant, which was Moses' covenant, right, was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle, the, the, the tent, and all of the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It's always been that way. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things. What are the copies of the things in heaven? It's the tent. The tent is a pattern that was given to Moses by God. And he said, this pattern I'm giving you is a pattern of what heaven is like, where I dwell in all of my glory. And so the copies of the things in the heavens had to be cleansed with blood. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter into enter a holy place made with hands. You notice Jesus didn't go and die on a cross in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in Israel, in Jerusalem. That's just a mere copy of the true one. God's thinking so much bigger than that tent now. But he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often like one animal after another animal after another animal after another animal. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that's not his own, otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, Jesus has been manifested. He has been revealed to do this, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is everything that God has been doing in the Old Testament in, in an anticipatory way of what he would ultimately do and finally do at the consummation of the ages, at the right time, 
His Son would be revealed and He would put away your sin, believer, through the sacrifice of Himself. Here's your favorite term here, your favorite phrase at Grace Bible Church. Penal substitutionary atonement. I say this every year. Penal means penalty. There is a penalty that must be paid for your rebellion against God. And that penalty will be paid for every human being. They'll either pay with it with their lives forever in hell or the penalty can be paid by the substitute. Penal substitutionary. There's a there's a substitute. His name is Jesus, and he paid the penalty. Why did the penalty get paid by the innocent substitute, Jesus? Last word, atonement. To atone for our sins, that means God's wrath was satisfied towards you, believer. That means your guilt was taken out of his sight, believer. That means you have a, a reconciled relationship with God now through his shed blood. So we want to set our sights on that. On that. The God of glory and the cross, Christ of the cross. They, they can't be separated in scripture. So what difference should that make every day in your life? Well, we should in a similar way position ourselves before the Bible every day to drink in and to gaze upon the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It's a way of saying that let's, let's preach the gospel to ourselves yet again. Like the Apostle Paul, uh, you can write down Galatians 6, 14 to 15. Galatians 6, 14 to 15, he says, May I boast in nothing except this, Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how you prepare your heart to boast in him. Is You want to walk out into the life and live as a bragger in the right ways? A bragger in the right ways? To boast in Jesus Christ. The only way you're going to be able to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ is that first you what? Come and soak in everything God has done through the Bible, through the innocent blood of the substitute. Of course, racing in your mind always from for you, left to right, to Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's how you prepare your heart to boast in him. That's how you'll be ready to boast in him before your kids, before your wife, before your husband, before your workplace. At any point in the day, our minds need to be so full that they're leaking his substitutionary death for us. It's your primary counsel to yourself. When you blow it and you sin against somebody, you sin against God, you sin against your wife, your family, what, what do you run to? A penalty paid by my substitute to atone for my sins. When you do something really well, you don't boast in yourself. You boast in the one who paid the penalty as your substitute to atone for your sins. It's your answer for everything. When your child is crushed under the weight of their sin and they, they don't feel a way out, what do you, you show them the way out. Your penalty is paid by a substitute to atone for your sins. Believe him. Cast yourself on him. So we want a biblical vision of God guiding us as a church. That means with our Bibles open, we want to set our sights on the God of glory and on the Christ of the cross. Thirdly, we want to set our sights on the Holy Spirit, the transformation of life by the Spirit. Number three, do you know what the Bible lays out as the Holy Spirit's primary work? I'm not asking if you know what most Christians say the primary work of the Holy Spirit is, but I'm asking, do you know what the Bible says is the primary work of the Holy Spirit? The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about the new birth. 
that then ushers you into a life in which you are capable of pleasing God. His primary work is to make the dead alive. To make the spiritually dead alive in Christ. Here's your passages. John 3, 1 to 8. John 3, 1 to 8. That's Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. Or maybe Nicodemus meeting with Jesus. Coming in the middle of the night. And he asks this question. He starts to butter up Jesus. We know that you are a great teacher. And Jesus just goes. Let me stop you there. You, teacher of Israel. You, teacher of Nicodemus, teaching Israel what's going on. Let me just get right to the very basics. You need to be born again from above by the Spirit. How is it that you as the teacher of Israel do not know this? Being born again by the Spirit is not a New Testament doctrine. It is not a Johnny-come-lately doctrine. It is what he expected the Old Testament teacher, Nicodemus, to have been teaching Israel. How is it that you do not know this? You're the teacher of Israel? And so if the teachers of Israel are not teaching Israel that they must be born again, imagine the condition of the nation of Israel when Jesus comes. That helps explain why everything is so off the rails. Israel is, is a rebel nation, unsaved for the most part. Of course, there are exceptions along the way. Titus 3, 5, and 7. Write that down, Titus 3, 5, and 7. Um, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but he saved us by his mercy, right? By the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us by that renewing work of the Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit do that? How does he take what's dead and make it alive? Primarily, the Holy Spirit does that by applying the work of Christ at the cross to the one that the Spirit of God is saving. When the Spirit of God comes upon a sinner and says, that's the one I'm saving. He takes 2,000 years ago in atonement. He takes the, the satisfaction of God's wrath. He takes the expiation or the taking away of guilt of Jesus' death on the cross through his shed blood. He takes the reconciling work of Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. And in my case, in February of 1985, the Holy Spirit takes that work and applies it to my life in time. And that's what he does to you if you're born again. He takes the work of Christ at the cross and he applies it. Here's some other things the Spirit of God does. Here's his work spelled out for us in Scripture. He adopts us into God. He adopts us. Romans 8, 14 to 17. We're children of God. We testify of this. The Spirit testifies within us. He adopts us into God. The Holy Spirit also seals the believer. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. If I go through every one of these verses, we will be here for three hours. And so I'm, I'm going to have you read them on your own. But write them down. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. He becomes the pledge of our inheritance. We don't have everything in our salvation yet that has been promised to us. There's an inheritance coming. But the Holy Spirit is the down payment. You have him now. It is a guarantee. He is the guarantee that you will get everything that's coming to you. That means the Holy Spirit powerfully preserves us and reserves us for heaven. But in the meantime, there's another work of the Spirit of God that he has been given to us to do. The Holy Spirit powerfully enables us to fight against indwelling sin. The Holy Spirit is your power in progressive sanctification, the process of becoming increasingly holy in the sight of Christ. And all of this indescribable work 
of the Holy Spirit. It brings about an amazing transformation of life to us. His new birth that he accomplishes for us, it ushers us into a brand new way of living that is marked by us overcoming the power of sin in our lives. Now, you will never do that perfectly. There's only one the, the only believer who is not fighting against sin anymore is the believer who is in Gilbert. Come on. No. Heaven! Gilbert's not heaven. Heaven's not Gilbert. But right now, what we do by the Spirit's power in our lives, I'm going to strike that from the recording. Was um, is we, by the Spirit's power, we are fighting against sin. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to see a couple of verses on this. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all, we all believers, Paul says, with an unveiled face. Where did that veil come from? Where's, what's he been talking about in chapter 3? Moses put a veil on because when he came down from the mountain, being in the radiant glory of God, they were all terrified of him because what was going on? There was the radiant glory of God still emanating from his face, and he was scaring him, so he covered it up. But we also find that he was covering it up because it was fade over time, and he didn't want people to see that it was fading. Okay. Moses is human like you and me. When you get a little bit of a stamp of approval from God and it starts to fade, I don't want that to fade. I want you to still see that. The, the prophets and the main characters in the Bible, they're just like you and me. They need a Savior too, right? But look at this. We're being transformed. Uh, we all, with unveiled faith, behold, face, beholding us in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The, the Spirit is the Lord who is doing this transformation. The idea is, is from one level of impressiveness and weightiness to another level of impressiveness or weightiness to another level of impressive or, or radiant glory. We are being progressively transformed in more and more impressive ways by the Lord who is the Spirit. That's our sanctification, our progressive sanctification. Go to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 10. And our spirit, the spirit of God is the one who is our primary power in doing so. Romans 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, though your body is dead because of sin, yet... The spirit is alive because of righteousness. You are a mixed creature. Look at that. You are a body of death, but you, your spirit is alive. You are this mixed thing. In heaven, believers are only spirit. There's no body of death anymore. They don't have this fight. You do, and you're going to learn this in the coming weeks in Wellspring and Build. Here's why you shepherd your heart, because you are this mixed creature, and you need help. I need help. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwells in you, well, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to this body, this mortal body, through his spirit who dwells in you. You're going to have life come in all of its grand ways. Verse 12. So then, brothers, so then, believers, we are under obligation not to this flesh that is still a part of this body. To live according to the standard of this body. If you do that, verse 13, if you are living according to the standard of your flesh, if your fleshly desires and pursuits get to set the standard for how you live, you must die. But Paul there is not describing the Christian. He's describing the unbeliever. This is what it means to be an unbeliever. You live according to the flesh. You've got one standard in life. It's your passions. 
If you live that way, you must die. But if you're a Christian and by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You get to live with God. It's not telling you how you will be saved, how you earn salvation. It's telling you how you live out your salvation with fear and trembling. You put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You need the Spirit. This is why we have Him. And what difference should this make every day? Again, just like the prior two focal points, position yourself every day to see the great work of the third member of the Holy Spirit. Those in our camp, uh, theologically, we're not, we're not charismatic. We're not open about what the Spirit does in terms of like a miraculous uh, things he did in the New Testament, like speaking in tongues and all that. We believe he is powerful. We believe God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants. But those of us who are like what we are, we tend to neglect one member of the Trinity. And it's him. It's the Holy Spirit. And the answer to neglecting him is to not go mystical. The answer is to go to what the Bible says his primary work is. What is his primary work? Spirit of God, am I born again? Spirit of God, you've sealed me. You're my down payment. You're my promise that I get everything. You indwell me to fight against my sin. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you. And so you position yourself before your Bible every day and you drink in this third member of the Spirit of God so that you can yield your life to him. Lord, today I am under obligation. Listen, there's a, there's a version of evangelicalism out there that puts God under obligation to me. I've got, I've got this plan in my life, and God, I'm going places, and I've been told that you just want to come along and give me a better marriage, and you want to come along and you just want to give me a better life. And you're coming along, and I'm adding you to this already pretty good life, in my estimation. I'm adding you to an already pretty good life, and here we go. You're under obligation to me. You're like a genie in a bottle. I just rub you whenever I want something. You come out, you, you're you under obligation. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is we are under obligation. He saved us. The second member of the Godhead was crushed by the first member of the Godhead so that the third member of the Godhead could come into your life and wean you off sin and make you fit for heaven. You and I are under obligation. And the Spirit is there to help us. We've got to drink this in. So there's the first half of our church's vision and purpose statement. We started as broadly as, as the Bible is, considering the God of the whole Bible. We're looking at a person, and what we want to set our sights on as a church family is the glory of God in the pages of the Bible that leads us inevitably to the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you want to drink in the glory of God, you will eventually be led to the cross of Jesus Christ. And if you are led to the cross of Jesus Christ, you'll think about how much your life needs to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one way of describing the message of the Bible. It doesn't include everything. It doesn't even talk about the end. It doesn't even, for you, the end is this way, right? To your brain. It doesn't even talk about the end. It doesn't even talk about how God created the world. It leaves stuff out. And we know that, but this is one way we're trying to just summarize what the Bible is about. And what we find is we set our sights on the Bible and on the God of the Bible as we are paused worshipers of Him is that that God then takes us and He narrows us down into a purpose, a gospel activity. 
He gives to us a very purposeful life in Jesus Christ. Listen, we do not, as you drink in in the Bible, the, the God of glory, the Christ of the cross, and the spirit of transformation, you do not become a hermit and withdraw from society, only to keep doing this more and more and meditate. What we find is when you come to this God, he's very active. And he has a lot of activity for you. So let's move secondly to number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. What do we mean by gospel purpose? Gospel, key word, gospel purpose. We're referring to Jesus' gospel mission. As you read through your Bible from left to right, you're going to find that God at different times and different seasons and different redemptive parts of his plan had different purposes. Noah's purpose was to build an ark for 120 years to prepare for the terrifying day of judgment on the earth at the flood. That was Noah's purpose. That is not your purpose. It's just not. Nobody is looking for gopher wood and trying to lay out the map and the blueprint. Um, they already did that in Kentucky, by the way, so you don't need to... It's already been done. Um, but your purpose is not Noah's purpose. That doesn't mean looking at Noah's purpose is not profitable. Oh, it is. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, but it's not your purpose. Moses' purpose was to go into another nation, Egypt, to help another captive nation within that nation escape from their slavery to be out and under the care of Yahweh in the wilderness. That is not your purpose. You are not looking for ways to go into Mexico to take a people group from within Mexico and deliver them from Mexico. Now, Moses' purpose is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, but it's not your purpose. David's purpose was to be a king ruling from his throne, uh, the nation Israel, in Jerusalem, and he was to carry out God's justice on the nations. And he did. And that is not your purpose. There's nobody doing that here. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness in all the right ways. But that's just not what your purpose is. Your purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel mission of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm going to emphasize this again. Being a Christian is not about God yielding himself to your precious purpose you've determined for your life. That is not what it means to be a Christian. He does not come into your life to fulfill all of your purposes. Listen, Noah had to die to whatever it was Noah was doing before God came to him. Moses had to die to whatever he was doing with his sheep off in the wilderness when he stumbled upon the burning bush. He died to what Moses' purposes were for Moses' life. David had to die to his shepherd boy stuff he was doing out in the field when Samuel came and anointed him king. And you, believer, must die to whatever you think your purpose is in your life because you are now under the purpose of Jesus Christ and the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. It's why you're not in heaven yet. Because you must participate in his gospel purpose in this world. And as we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus in the four gospels in the New Testament, it appears that Jesus had three primary overlapping complementary activities for his disciples to participate in. They were drawing in the crowds to Jesus. They were building up disciples in Jesus Christ. And they were being sent out as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's tackle these one at a time. Number one, drawing in. Jesus had a lot to say about what it means to be drawn in. I want you to write down these passages, John 6, 44 and verse 65. 6:44 and verse 65, Jesus says, uh, no man can come to me unless, what? 
the Father draws him. Okay? That is a pretty serious drawing in. And Jesus says in John, um, in, the, in John 6, verse 65, let me read it for you. No, that's not the one I want. I think it's verse 44. Oh, it's verse 44. So listen to this, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So whatever it is that Jesus is doing and drawing him to himself, it is all about starting there, but it's about an I'll raise him up on the last day. This is not a being drawn in to be a part of the Jesus club that's going on in Galilee. This is not merely attaching themselves superficially to Jesus. This is, no, you're drawn in to me in a way that is so significant that when you die, I'll raise you up on the last day. This is a salvation drawing in. Write down Acts 13, verse 48. This is the way that Luke describes it as he was on uh, writing about Paul's first missionary journey. When the Gentiles heard this, that Paul was going to turn away from the Jews and go to the Gentiles, the Gentiles began rejoicing and they were glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? The ones that God had worked sovereignly in to position them to believe. This drawing in that takes place is not done by me. It's not done by you ultimately. Oh, we get to participate in it. We'll talk about that. But it is about God. This drawing in activity is about God. So we get to carry out our gospel purpose. We get to preach the gospel. We get to call sinners to repentance. But sinners are drawn into a saving relationship with Christ, ultimately because of God's sovereign work before and under our preaching and in our preaching and surrounding our preaching. So what's important for us to remember as we carry this out is that this drawing in is ultimately a salvation drawing in that God does. And so it's very important to note that Jesus Christ crucified is the object of attraction. What do you lift up to tell them? Come to Jesus. It is, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and in particular what? Him crucified. That's what you lift up. John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, I think that's where uh, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And he said this referring to the kind of death he was going to die. John 12, 32 and 33. So Jesus must be lifted up to die on a cross. And in so being lifted up, he draws all of his people to himself. Drawing in is therefore, get this, understand this, because this is, there's a lot of confusion about this happening in churches. Drawing in is therefore not primarily about us developing ministry programs in which we fill seats. Do you understand? That is not what the Bible talks about drawing in. In fact, this, if we put Jesus here, what, what he did in his day, if there was a bunch of seats filled, do you know what he does in the Gospel of John? He scares them away. I don't know why you're following me. You don't even get what this is about. And they left him. Jesus emptied the fields when they were sitting there. And the churches today probably need Jesus to come in and empty them with the true preaching of the gospel. It is offensive to a sinner. It was offensive. It's a stumbling block. Nobody comes in to Jesus Christ in salvation without scuffing up your knees and your elbows and your hands because you go down. 
Because in pride, you stand up and you say, no, I've got something to offer. I'm not that bad. And he says, no, here's what the Word of God says. And you hit the ground and you come into Christ with Bactine on your knees and Band-Aids on your elbows. It's humbling. If you don't know what Bactine is, ask somebody with gray hair. Okay. I hated that stuff as a kid. It just burn. That's how we come into Christ. So when are we satisfied with seats being filling up? When that numerical growth is actually determined as salvation growth. There's new believers. And look, we don't turn people, we don't stay at the door and say, you're not safe, don't come in here. Don't come in here. Whatever you do, don't come in here. No, come in here, sit down. Now, do you know what the gospel is? You've been here for three months and you've heard the gospel and you're not, you haven't responded. Why? Why? We are not satisfied with just mere numbers. I'm thrilled that there's over 130 men and women in building Wellspring between Thursdays and Saturdays. That's unheard of. That's great. It means nothing if we're not growing and if we're not saved. It means nothing. As you share the gospel on a daily basis, what difference does this make? If you notice on each one of these, I try to say, what difference does this make? Listen. You want to know what parenting is? Here's what parenting is. It's you being used by God to draw your little one to Christ. Parenting. Um, So those of you who are at home with little ones, uh, do not think that you aren't participating in the drawing in ministry. You've got it up to your knees every day, don't you? Little ones holding on to you. But you are not satisfied that people like hanging out with you who aren't saved. Yes, let them hang out with you. But if you're hanging out with them, doesn't make them have to ever stumble and scuff up their knees on what the gospel says about being a sinner and needing a savior. If that never happens, your friendship isn't doing what it's supposed to do. Right? So you're not satisfied until you see them say, if you go to bed at night, and if, you, if, if, if what makes you sleep well at night is go, man, my kids, they like me. They're lost. Boy, do they like me. I can sleep well tonight. That, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. And, and, the, and the goal, the answer to that is not to go out and make them not like you. The answer is, no, your friendship with them, your relationship with them needs to be a conduit for the gospel so that they love you as one who's bringing the gospel to you, to them, so that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that people use God used friendships in your life to draw you to Christ. Maybe you went to a maybe you attended a religious activity. That's what I did. I've never been to church much, and I went to this religious activity, this concert, and in between songs, horrible songs. This guy opened up his mouth and he just said, "Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sin." And I was like, "What?" Attendance at a religious thing was good. It can be good. Only as it is used by God to draw in sinners savingly to him. Once they're drawn in, what do we do? Secondly, number two, building up. It's important to understand how these three, drawing in, building up, sending out, work together. Uh, They are not first grade, second grade, and third grade. First grade, when you're done, you never want to go back. So when you're drawn in, you never have to be thinking about drawing in again. No, that's not what we're saying. Um, And once you're done with being built up, you reach it, you get a little graduation certificate, great, you're built up now, now go be sent out. 
That's not what we're talking about either. These are, there's priority to them, there's sequence to them, obviously, but they are all overlapping and involved together. Some of the best building up that ever takes place in your life is when you are sent out and you feel inadequate. Man, are you built up. And maybe even God will safely draw someone in, and it all happens at the same time. Okay? So let's talk about what it means to be built up. Most believers think about being built up in the terms of being individually built up. The goal of everything that God is after in this world is to build my little precious life up. And it is part of what God wants to do. Only God is thinking a little bigger than just you and than just me. Actually, he put your life together with other lives, and he wants to build something bigger up than just you. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 12 to 16. Uh, 11 to 16. And Jesus gave some as apostles, he gave some as prophets, and he gave some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did God give these foundational gifts? Why do we need to have scripture come through prophets, the, the, the New Testament apostles and prophets? Why did more revelation need to come? Why did evangelists need to take that message and run? And once people believed, why were pastors and teachers needed at that foundational level? It was verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of each individual in Christ. Is that what it says? No, it says to the building up of the body of Christ. What is he? Why did he give the gifts? He gave the gifts so that the church, the local church expressed in a, the, the church of Christ expressed in a local setting can be built up. He expands on that. Um, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature in which belongs the fullness of Christ. The body is supposed to be reflect something as a unified, mature man. One body, one man just growing, looking mature. That means we can't be children anymore, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. And then verse 16 is kind of our, one of our favorite verses on this, and I'm going to summarize it for you this way. Here's the main idea of verse 16. It's a typical Pauline sentence, very long, lots of prepositional phrases, but here's, here's the main idea. The whole body causes the growth of the body. That's the main sentence in verse 16. You need to write that down. The whole body causes the growth of the body. This is what God is after on this planet with his believers. He wants the body of Christ as it is gathered in the local church. He wants that body to cause the growth of the body. How does that happen? Look at it in verse 16. Well, it's from him or from whom. He's just mentioned Christ. This is from Christ. This can only happen as it is from Christ. The whole body. Now, this body, it is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. So this body is made up of pieces and there are joints. Where, where one piece comes up against another piece and it forms a joint. And at that point of joint, uh, between those things, there's a supply. And maybe a better word for the word supplies there is power. There is a power when these pieces come together. Now, he says that has to happen according to the proper working of each individual part. There you are. There you specifically are. You are an individual part and you must work right. You must be everything that God called you to be in Christ. You must. Why? For your own sake? Is that all he's thinking? 
No, he's certainly thinking of that. But as you are everything that you must be in Christ in this life, he takes your life and he puts yours up against another. There's a joint and there's a supply of power there. And then the body is fitted and held together by that. And the body is being built up by the body. Your lives must come into contact with one another if this church is ever going to grow. The body is not built up by the pastors. The pastors were given for the equipping of the saints so that when they put their lives together, the body builds up the body. Pastors, elders give their place in it. But you must have your life connected to other people so that the body can be built up. So the answer, if all you usually think of is, I'm just, I'm just been thinking about me getting built up. What's the, what's the correction? It's not, stop that. That's dumb. Don't do that. No, it's, don't stop thinking about you being built up. But what must you add to it? I gotta put my life together with other people. Because Jesus is after something so much bigger than just my little life. So we put our lives together. The elders believe the best place for us to put our lives together is corporate worship on Sundays and small groups. If you're not in a small group yet, as you're newer to Grace Bible Church, we want to get you there by the, uh, by the semester's end. We want to help you get there. Last one, sending out. We're running out of time. Next year, I need uh, two hours. We'll start five. And we'll find out who's really serious about following Christ when I'm here and two other elders are. <laughs> Just kidding. Sending out. Uh, here's a way I can summarize it for you. If you think about it in the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has always been a sending God. He's a God who sends. He went and found Moses and he sent him into Israel. He went to Isaiah and he sent him after he saw the glory of God. He went to Jeremiah and he said, I'm sending you to these people. And he went to the prophet Ezekiel and he sent him into Israel and the, the captive people. And he went to John the Baptist and he sent him. God the Father has always been ascending God. Jesus Christ was sent by the sending Father. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Read through the Gospel of John and find out how many dozens of times Jesus refers to himself as he whom the Father sent. I am him whom the Father sent. So the, the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, is a sent God by the sending God who is his Father. Consider the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and John 16, 7. That's the upper room discourse Jesus with his disciples in the last night. And three different times he says that the Spirit is sent. Okay, so let me back up. The Father is ascending Father, the Son is sent, and both of those two are sending the Spirit. Jesus had 11 disciples and then a 12th one, and he sent them out to preach the gospel. They were sent ones. He called them sent ones. As I have been sent, so I send you, he tells them. So what difference does that make in your life as you read from the Old Testament through to the New Testament? What difference does that make? How should you think of yourself? Can I tell you how you should not think of yourself? I'm the exception. Ascending Father who sent his son and both of them sent the spirit and then they sent disciples out. Everybody else is a set one. I'm not. Because I'm not a missionary. I'm not going to Papua New Guinea. I've seen that place. Picture. You're not an exception. Ascending Father who crucified his sent son 
so that he can send his spirit to live in you will not make you into anything except also a sent one like him. You're sent. And here's the beauty of it. You're already sent. You have a rhythm and a pattern of life that's genius. That doesn't mean that it can't be improved on. It probably does. And it's good for us every once in a while to think, you know, what do I do to sharpen my impact in the world where I live? That's genius. Six days out of the week, five days out of the week, you see the same unbelievers over and over and over and over. At work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your home, little unbelievers around your knees trying to... You've been sent there as a sent one of Jesus Christ with the gospel. Now, how can the elders of any church come up with a program better than that? Elders and pastors, imagine them sitting in a room. I've got an idea. Let's put together a program that six days a week puts our people in contact with the same people over and over. No, no pastor, no church has ever done that. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't plot and plan and scheme for corporate ways or smaller group ways to go out into the community. We should. But what does any of that matter if we don't see ourselves as sent ones where we already are? A lot of times Christians just feel good about evangelism because they go to a church where there's that group over there and their church that, that does local outreach. And maybe they give to it, or maybe they go once in a while, and they, in their minds, check off the box. I'm, I'm about the lost. But if for six days out of the week you go out into your world and you're not even opening your mouth, you're not even trying to live a life that's pleasing to God for them so that your light shines before them, what difference does it make about that program? Live where God has you. It's an ingenious program. Okay? All three of these, drawing in, building up, and sending out, are all nothing without the gospel. How on earth do you get drawn in without the gospel? How on earth do you get built up without the gospel? Write down Romans 16.25 for um, being built up with the gospel. Paul says, it is my gospel that will establish you believers. You still need the gospel to be built up. And what on earth are you doing being sent out into the world if you don't preach the gospel? You must preach the gospel. That's what ties these together. It is a gospel purpose in Jesus Christ. Okay? So here's what we're about. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins, who sent his spirit to indwell us that we might live a changed, transformed life. That's what we want to set our sights on. That's what we want to focus on as a church. That means we're very active in the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ in our homes and outside to see sinners be savingly drawn in, to be built up by the word of God, and to be sent back out into the world. Building Wellspring, there's another page there for you. I'm going to let you read that on your own. Um, but Build and Wellspring, where do they fit in all of that? Uh, Build and Wellspring, in one sense, kind of are a bridge between the two. They touch both the, vi the biblical vision and they touch the gospel purpose. They, they touch the biblical vision because you're going to get your disciplines, your spiritual discipline down to learn how to gaze on that triune God and all of his glory in the scripture. You're going to be looking after God's glory and the Christ of the cross and the spirit of the transformation. You're going to grow in your affections and your desire for him and in your yielding of your life to him. 
That's a must, and it's just a tool to help you do that. But then, Build and Wellspring are also um, a part of this equipping ministry of, of being built up so that you are an effective witness of Jesus Christ out wherever God has you. Okay? So that's where this ministry fits in. Um, I want to make a, since there's about half of you who aren't, um, uh, you're newer, you, this is your first time in Build and Wellspring, I want to tell you at, from the elders' perspective where Build and Wellspring, how they relate to the other ministries of the church. Build and Wellspring are not, by the elders, designed to be a substitute for small groups. In other words, yeah, I'm in Wellspring, so I'm not really in a small group. Um, our preference is that you be in a, in a small group, because that's where you're going to be meeting with people, and you're going to be connecting your life and putting your, your individual part up against another individual part the most. This is a specific tool that will only strengthen your small group participation. And so one of the things that your discussion, discussion group leaders and your main leaders of the Wellspring and Build are going to do this year is they're going to help you get connected to a small group, okay? If that's scary to you, um, you don't need to be scared. <laughs> We've got a great small groups, and uh, we're just sinners trying to help other sinners uh, walk with Christ. Uh, we put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that we can help each other find them and um, be faithful to live for Christ. And if you have never, if your discipline of, spiritual discipline of reading the Bible has not been going well, one of the things that's going to be put in front of you this year is a, a commitment or plan, a strategy to try to read through as much of the Bible as is best for you. Um, one of the tools that we'll put in front of you is to read through the Bible in a year. If you have never read through all of the Bible before, um, no, I'll say it this way, and I, and I, want, to, I want to be gentle and I want to be truthful and let both of these come together. No longer impoverish yourself with that. And whether it takes you a year to read through the Bible, that's about four chapters a day, three or four chapters a day. Uh, you probably look at internet news or Facebook longer than that than the time it takes to read three chapters a day or reading the paper in the morning or whatever. A newspaper is a um, but our goal is that you would see the God of the Bible, not the God of your five favorite books of the New Testament that you read over and over and over. That's great. But we want to see you expand in your reading and you can kind of have some custom ways by which you do that and we have some kind of locked in plans that will do that for you, whether it's chronological or whether it's reading kind of all over the place and so that's what we want to do is we want to help you see the God of the Bible by reading all of the Bible. If, if, your, if your husband was gone for a long time or your child away off at college and your child wrote you 20 letters over the semester and comes home at Christmas and says, did you read my letters? And you said, yeah, I read, my, I read two of them. Um, they were so good. They're like my favorite ones. Did you read the others? Well, no, not really yet. Uh, you see, that makes no sense, does it? Don't you want everything you can get of your son or your daughter as they're revealing themselves through the words on the page? You can't have them personally, so the words on the page are just like, oh my goodness, I got to soak all of this in. How can I go back and reread those over and over throughout the semester? How can I keep doing that? That's what, that's what a mom does. That's what a dad does. But we don't do that with the Bible. And if we do that with anything written, we better do it with the Bible. Okay? Taking way too much time. 
How about I pray and then we're going to dismiss and go over it? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your Bible and thank you for the gospel in the Bible. Lord, we are overwhelmed at what you reveal about yourself there. You are impressive because you crucified your son in our place and you have given us your best. You've given us your spirit of holiness that we might strive together in holiness of life, being built up together as believers in Jesus Christ, gathered at Grace Bible Church, drawn in by your saving grace, by the power of the cross, we are being saved. And we are still here on this earth that we might be sent out by you until you come, until the end of the age. And you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord, help us to be faithful. Bless the rest of their time together this morning, Lord, the men and the women here. Make this a fruitful year in our lives so that you are glorified and seen to be the magnificent God that you are. And we give thanks and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Okay. So good morning. My name is Jamie Siegel. And on behalf of Dina Iserman and myself, and Dina, are you here? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So Dina, this is Dina. Will you just wave so or stand so everybody can see you? Um, we welcome you, and we are so thrilled and excited for this day to finally be here. Um, and we're excited to spend the next nine months together, just about every other Saturday for the next nine months. And uh, we're here to spur one another on, and we just, uh, we just are thrilled to see and eager to see what the Lord will do in and through um, this ministry. Uh, we want you to know that we have been praying for each one of you, and uh, we... Um, are eager to get to know those of you that we don't know. Uh, so I think because of time, I'm going to be skipping through a few things, but um, I, I'm just wondering, do y'all mind standing if this is your very first year taking Wellspring? Will you please just stand for a second? Keep standing. Keep standing. Ladies, look at this. These are the ladies that we want to reach out to and get to know. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you for doing that. It's almost like half. I'm going to have to calculate, but it's awesome. So welcome. We are so excited that you are here. And um, uh, we don't want you to be overwhelmed by what you're about to hear because it's going to seem like a fire hose of just information and just it'll all fall in place. Um, so we're going to start by talking about what a typical morning looks like. So we, we really want to start promptly at 7 a.m. The morning is full. And so if you can be here by 6.45, grab some coffee, grab some food, have some fellowship, and be in your seats at 7, that would be, that would be a blessing to all of us. If you're riding in with someone who's doing bills, they start at 6.45. So come with them and... We pray at 6.30, so feel free to join us then. Uh, but it is a great opportunity to know one another. Um, you received a name tag in your uh, out there at the table, and we ask that you wear it. For people like me over 50, especially, I have such a hard time <laughs> remembering names. So I'll commit to wearing mine. You guys commit to wearing yours at least for half the year. 
and then I think maybe we'll get it down, except for me, because sometimes I don't even remember Barb's name. But, um, <laughs> but put it in your notebook. That's helpful. Like when you're done, just stick it in there, and then you'll have it. Feel free to get up anytime. From now on, we'll have food and coffee in the back of the room, so feel free to get up and replenish your coffee or food. And the restrooms that we're to use are at the end of this hall, the NGM restrooms, straight down to the back. Um, the teaching time is recorded. Like I said, not my favorite part, but it is what it is. And so um, th this recorder is really sensitive. So you know the clicking of the notebook? It picks it up loudly. And so when people are trying to listen on online, they hear just like that clicking and it, it takes over the voice. So if you guys can get all your clicking done prior to the teaching, we would really appreciate that. So come by 625. Come by 625. <laughs> Do your clicking. And yeah. So after teaching time, we will break into our discussion groups, except for today. We're not going to break into our discussion groups. And then we're going to end the morning at 9. And this morning, we're probably going to end more like 9:10, And the guys, too. So um, you received a list of your groups in your packet, and check to make sure your name is on there. If it's not on there, that's my fault, so see me afterwards. And then what I want to do right now, just so you guys have an eye on who your discussion group leader is, um, let's do this, please. Let's see. Do you see it? There it is. All right. So, um, I don't, Michelle Philemon is not here, but you guys just met Dina. So, Dina and Michelle have a group. So, if your name's under there, um, you can meet Dina afterwards. Barb Hagel and Bethany Krug, will you guys stand up just for a second so you see who your discussion group leader is? This is Barb and Bethany. And then Janet Anderson. Will you stand up, Janet? Or just wave if you don't want to stand. It's up to you. I don't know. Oh, Dan! <laughs> Thank you. Um, Karis is not here. Karis is recovering from surgery, so please keep her in your prayers. Um, Diana Allen and Allie Casillas, will you stand, please? Their most favorite part, too. So it's Diana, and this is Allie. So they're your discussion group leaders. Now you know that. All right. So, um... The, what we're we're going to do the same thing we did last year. Discussion group leaders um, are going to take turns cleaning up. So you you see a rotation. It's in your handout there of um, when it's your turn. So you might want to plan on that. Plan on staying. It takes about 15 minutes and clean up. And when it is your turn, um, you need to end your discussion group time um, on time or even a couple of minutes early to get going on that. Um, this. Today, I was wondering, those of you who are familiar with the cleanup procedure, you did it last year, and you want to stay and help, we need about five or six people, if you don't mind, just staying after and cleaning up for us. And oh, I had, I, you're going to do it? Ingrid's going to do it? We have one. <laughs> so um, we have a meeting right after, and then we'll come out. Whatever you don't get done, we'll take care of. Don't worry about it. But we'll put all the food, if people don't pick it up, on that black shelf in the back. And we ask that you take your food home every week um, just or give it to someone. There's. There might be some single guys over there. They love to get food afterwards. <laughs> They'll be, like, looking around for it. 
Um, okay, let's see. Um, this morning, Scott spoke to us about the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church and the roles that Build and Wellspring play. Um, talked a little bit about that, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about our ministry, the Wellspring ministry. It's an equipping ministry, like he said, and it specifically focuses on cultivating lives that are transformed by the gospel. That's what we're going to do. Lives that are transformed in such a way that it impacts our hearts, it impacts our homes, and it impacts our ministry so that the church is strengthened. Our church is strengthened. This is so cool how God does this. Our, our church is strengthened when we individually grow. It's, it's the body causing the body to grow. And we believe that you will benefit most when you are here consistently, um, seeing how many of the lessons they build on one another. So when we talk about commitment, um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't come back if you have to miss. We want you to come back. We know that illnesses happen, that people get sick, children get sick, circumstances come up. We get that, but we mean that it is a commitment as much as it depends on you. Will you plan to be here? Plan to be here um, to make to be purposeful in making Wellspring a priority for the next nine months. Um, Here's what it looks like for me. It looks like putting those dates on my calendar. So you have a schedule there. Put those dates on your calendar so you can plan. It looks like for me planning ahead Friday night. Um, it means that I go to bed earlier on Friday night. If at, I could do that, <laughs> Barb and, and uh, Amelia know I go to bed early anyway, so it means like going to bed at 7. <laughs> I, you think I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, it means going to bed as early as you can to be able to be here early Saturday morning. Um, if, and if you have to miss, if, if we get that. Please come back. Um, the goal is to get what the Lord has for us here, to grow, to be equipped to grow as a church, and it's it's just it's going to happen best when we're consistent, um, when we're consistent in our participation and in our teaching and our discussion time, which is um, a very important part of Wellspring, and consistent in doing our assignments. But if you have to miss, we ask that you listen online. It'll be recorded. There's an audio. Um, there's the outline and the um, homework. You can download. You'll receive an email saying when the audio is um, on, and I believe the link is even attached. Sorry about that link and that letter that I sent you guys, to. I'll get better at that. Um, and Or you can come Sunday morning and pick up Pick up the handouts um, at the information table. There's a Wellspring book, and the handouts will be in there every, every Sunday morning. So um, the point is, I think you get it, though, is that we want you here even when you have to miss. So will you commit to coming back if you have to miss? Okay. You know, in those winter months, like this morning, it was dark when we started driving here. But in those winter months, it is cold, it is dark, and that bed is very comfy. And I don't want to open, take those covers off and get up, but it don't, that only lasts about 15 minutes. And then <laughs> first cup of coffee, shower, you're good. But come back um, and remember the commitment that you made today when you're tempted to stay home because you just don't want to come. 
Um, also, if you do have to miss, will you please let your discussion group leader know so she's not wondering, they're not wondering where you are or if there's um, something that they can be praying for you, if there's a need. All right, so let's take a look at the binder. We, need, uh, we ask that you bring it every week. And let's take a look at the front, the front of your binder. The name of this ministry is Wellspring, which comes from Proverbs 4.23. I encourage you to memorize that. Um, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A wellspring is a head of a source of a spring or a river, and it signifies a continual flow, a continual supply. In Proverbs 4.23, we see that the heart is the wellspring of life. It's saying all of life flows from the heart. And what is the heart? We're going to learn a lot. We're going to, we're going to be uh, talking a lot about our hearts. But our heart is the totality of who we are, our inner man. The Bible talks about the inner man and the outer man. And we're not talking about the physical heart, the outer man. We're talking about the inner man. The heart is the source of our motives and of our desires and our will and our intentions and our attitudes and our opinions, our priorities, our emotions, all of our actions, everything. And um, our life continually flows from and reveals our hearts, right? So notice the logo. It conveys this continual flow of water and it's from an unseen source just like the everything that flows from our life is from our heart um, and our our logo is uh, or our wellspring is a is a uh, women a ministry of women and it ties to Titus 2 and we'll have teaching on that in December um, and our, our logo also conveys the idea of one generation flowing into another pouring into another and what we pour into others the next generation flows from our hearts so this logo can be a reminder every time we look at our notebook grab our notebook open it up of the responsibility that we have with one another how crucial it is that we guard our hearts proverbs 4:23 says above all else so that what we're pouring into others is good and it's pure and it's grounded in the word of God. And it's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scott talked a little bit about our discipline, so we're not going to go over them today. But let's talk about our purpose. So we have our welfare's purpose and the disciplines on the back of your binder. And every time we're together, you're going to hear whoever's talking and teaching about the disciplines. Turn your notebook over, and let's talk about the Wellspring purpose and the disciplines. Here's our purpose. We are here to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to do something. To shepherd our hearts. To shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God. Why? So that they live gospel-transformed lives. And then there it is again. See what it does? Strengthens the church. Strengthens the church in its gospel purpose. Um, and, and then I'm going to read, since Scott didn't do that, the, the disciplines. 
the first discipline um, of our heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God, through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And discipline to the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God and his word. And then discipline three, ministry. With a heart fixed on God, um, that's discipline one, right? And keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, that's discipline two. The faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So there are your disciplines we'll be talking about throughout the year. And we want to grow and we want to be united in our understanding of what, what it looks like to pursue godliness and our sanctification and how we minister to one another, how we encourage one another, how we um, disciple one another toward Christ. All right. So now let's take a look at the inside of our binder. Wait, I just want to... But now, let's do this. Everybody, all at one time, are you ready? Is your binder open? Click. Click. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Oh, who is that? <laughs> Somebody needs another cup of coffee. All right. So, um... You are going to see in your binder tabs, there's a tab to put your outlines that you get every week, a tab to put your homework in every week, and um, these tabs are here to serve you. Use them how you want, add more tabs, color code them, do whatever you want with this. This is your notebook. This is just, this is here to help you to be as organized as you want to be. Um, But the first thing that we want you, your, your binders open. The first thing that um, we recommend you putting in is that schedule. So stick in your schedule and please write down those dates on your calendar. Oh, guess what? I'm going to do this too. Oh, mine doesn't make a noise. <laughs> so there's your schedule. Write down the date. Um, and we meet the same dates as Bill's. Again, we meet from 7 to 9. Bill meets at 645 to nine. Um, we, we don't want you to miss. We don't want you to show up when there isn't a wellspring. And um, we want you to come as often as you can. The next one is um, the contact information. You have There's midweek, so they meet on Thursday and then Saturday. So here's my contact information and Dina's information. And then you see... Um, uh, how you can go online and get the resources if you miss or if you want to listen again. And then you see a snack sign-up. Um, you already received that email to sign up for snacks, and thank you so much for those of you who did. Um, you know what? If, if it's not a season for you to bring snacks, that's totally fine. Don't feel obligated. If you want to bring them, great. We love it. If you can't, that's fine too. You'll get a reminder when you, you've signed up, then you'll get a reminder a few days before. 
And just a heads up, it's not a friendly like, hey, this is, you know, so, so, thank you so much for signing up. It's, it's your turn to bring a snack. Once, and that's it. So, that's not from us, it's just automated. So, just know, we would say thank you, and we would like fluff it up a bit, but. <laughs> yeah, so, just so you know. Um. Also, uh, again, I said take home the food, and let's see. All right, let's turn to the resource section in your notebook. So you're going to, I know, you might have to flip. It's fine. Just for today. Go to the, go to the resource section, and then you're going to um, see um, one of your assignments, like Scott said, is we want to encourage you to read through the Bible in a year. And so there's a little something about that. And, and before we meet again next, next time we're together in two weeks, um, will you go ahead and read this on your own? It'll be very helpful. Um, uh, let's see. We want you, though, that is the primary assignment, is to um, commit to meeting with God daily or as often as you can to read his word and to pray, to draw near to him and um, to God intentionally and uh, just to be intentional about the way you read his word um, so that your time in the word, it leads to worship of God. And it's uh, in order to better take care, like he said, take better take care of your heart. And um, just a reminder of knowing that all that he has done for us, what he has provided for us, knowing um, that he is a faithful God. We see that over and over again. And in his word, it shows us uh, his desire for us, how he wants us to live. So what we've done is we've given you some tools, and these are just tools. They're tools for you. They're reading plans. And the first one you'll see there is the chronological plan. And it's arranged roughly in the order in which it happened, in history, keep in mind, uh, if you do the chronological plan, if you look at the, uh, turn it over, you are not in the New Testament until July. So if you pick this plan, know that you are in the Old Testament, you start to October 1st, when we have the date starting October 1st, you're not in the New Testament until July. And I've done that before, and it could be really hard, because we know, like, we know Jesus came, we know the Messiah, and so what I do, and I'm going to try to have these books for you um, next time we're together, but when I've read this chronological plan, I try to supplement it with this book called The Gospel Primer. It is a great book, and I encourage every one of you, there it is, I, this is what it looks like, so if you want to purchase it tomorrow, it's in the bookstore, and it's $9.00. And everyone should have it. And maybe you should have another copy so you can give it to someone because it's that good. I try to keep a supplement of these books because it helps you to shepherd your heart with the gospel. So it's wonderful. Thank you. So I supplement my reading if I'm doing the chronological plan. I shepherd my heart with that as well. The next one is a 52-week Bible reading plan, and it breaks it down by... um, Day, Sunday, you're in the epistles. Monday, you're in the law and history. Some days you're reading a few chapters. Some days you're reading a lot of chapters. So this plan takes a lot of flexibility. And then the next one is the McShane's Bible reading plan. A lot of people like to do that one here at Grace Bible Church. 
you're in four parts daily. You read through the Old Testament once. You read through the Psalms, Proverbs, and New Testament twice. Um, and if you've never read through it in a year, this might be one that you would want to start with. Um, or, well, actually, no, I don't think this one. I think the next one, the Bible reading plan, Old and New Testament. I think that's a very simple one to start. You're in the Old Testament, and you're in the New Testament every day. And it just takes you through, and I think that's a good one. Oh, are they done? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, like Scott said, remember, these are just tools. These are guides. There's also a two-year plan in here. If it's not the season to read through in a year... Pick the two-year plan. I use an app on my iPad that keeps me um, every day. I, I have my plan that way. But the point is not the plan. The point is the purpose of the plan, right? To meet with God and to draw near with him. So if you're already in a plan and it's working for you, please feel free to um, just keep going. Some of you have been very faithful in this. And, uh, the first, and another assignment for you before next week is to, or before next time we're together is to pick a plan. Um, and then please just take a look at these next sections. There's a, there's, um, heart categories, um, and heart categories in the New Testament, home categories, women in the Bible. You'll see a lot of resources here. Um, we may or may not refer to them throughout the year, but there, God's Word has so much to say about our heart, and here's a lot of scripture references. So, um, homework. You will have homework every week. It's going to be on a colored sheet of paper. It goes with the lesson, and it's due each time we meet together. And um, uh, the homework always invites you to start with prayer, and don't ignore that part. Take time to pray and ask God to help you see what you need to see, and um, uh, do it uh, with intentionality, and start early. Don't wait till Friday night, because you'll be sorry, because there's a looking back section and uh, if you take a look at your homework real quick, it's that blue sheet. There's a looking back check section, and that's to reflect on and apply the teaching you just heard on Saturday. So if you, that's the one you need to do right away while the lesson is fresh. And then there's a looking day by day, and then there's a looking ahead to get you ready for the next lesson, and then sometimes there's a looking deeper section. And it's not an academic assignment. This is not, this is a heart assignment. A heart, not this heart, but a heart assignment. Um, it's uh, about what we're learning on a heart level. So take some time and think about those questions. Um, it's for evaluating ourselves for the purpose of seeing areas where God wants us to grow and where he wants us to change. And uh, so uh, another thing about the homework, we do ask that you turn it into your discussion group leader, and I know that can be really uncomfortable. Here you've just poured out your heart, honestly on the pages of this homework, and then we're asking you to turn it into someone maybe you don't even know well. But let me tell you, you'll get used to it. It's okay. We're all in this together. No one has arrived. This is, we're all in uh, the same journey of progressive sanctification. So just know, um, you know, we're all, like Tom Ingstead says, um, we're beggars showing others where the bread is, or like Scott said, cookies on the, you know, we're there to help with the cookies on the low shelf. Um, but this is an opportunity for your discussion group leader to know you, to encourage you, to pray for you, to reach out to you. Um, and it's also an opportunity as you do this homework to praise God for what he's done. As you acknowledge through your homework, you see areas that he is growing you and changing you. 
Um, we will meet, like I said, next time in discussion groups, and um, it's an opportunity to, to pray for one another and build relationships and care for one another, and um, part of that in a discussion group, um, I don't want you to assume that the discussion group leader is the one that is um, responsible for caring for the whole group. That's not the way the body works, right? So within the discussion group, you, I encourage you to reach out and, and, and uh, encourage and care for one another. Um, follow up with a text or an email and pray and encourage one another. You have about 30 minutes in your group, and it goes by fast. So it's important that you keep your conversations on Wellspring-related topics on the morning teaching, on the homework, on the disciplines, on your time of meeting with uh, God and his word, how the gospel comes to bear in your life, how you're growing. It's a time uh, there to help us all go deeper. So here's what's important about that too. It's important that when we're sharing, we flatten out the details. Okay? We flatten out the details. We leave out names. We make sure the point is, what is God doing in my heart? Not what's going on in my boss's heart, not my children's heart, not my grandchildren's heart, not my husband's heart, my heart. What is God doing in my heart? And so, I mean, ladies, we just, we must grow in this. We need to, make, we need to guard against gossip, guard against slander. And guard against bunny trailing off of what we're there to be pur purposeful about. And you can call me out on that if you see me doing that. We want to focus on the Lord and our own hearts. And uh, the other thing is we want everyone to have a chance to share in discussion group time. You received a songbook in your notebook if it's been a couple of years since you've been in Wellspring. That is a, it's just a great tool to read through those words or to sing through those Rich songs with just sweet uh, encouragement, gospel-rich words about who our Savior is, who our God is. So I encourage you to use that. That's a gift from us. Um, in conclusion, let's review the components of Wellspring. There's two. There's a together component. We're, we're together, and then there's an on-your-own component. Together, we are receiving teaching on the disciplines and teaching from God's Word, and together we're receiving fellowship, encouragement in our discussion groups, and then on our own, we're meeting with God daily in His Word. On our own, we're doing our homework assignments. On our own, we're praying for one another and encouraging one another. So, um... I just went over a lot of information, and I tried to talk really fast. But, and like I said, especially if this is your first time, you know, it'll, you'll get it. So don't be discouraged. Don't feel like you're, you don't understand. But if you do want to reach out to Dina or myself with any questions, please, or your discussion group leader, please do so. We're here for you. We're here to help and come alongside and um answer any questions that you that you may have and so with that let's pray ah father thank you so much for a morning like this with such great teaching about who you are and what you've called us to lord i pray i thank you that you have made us new creations in christ and you have given us new desires um to live for you may we be sober-minded 
um, and how we need to care for our hearts and how we need to fight sin. Father, I pray that um, we are sober-minded in how you call us to seek your face and your word, that we might know you, that our hearts would be strengthened, that our hearts would be challenged this year in Wellspring, that we would be faithful women, that we would be God-fearing women, and that we would make much of you, Jesus, our Savior, that our lives would display the work of the gospel wherever you have us, wherever you've placed us, Lord, to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear the hope we have in you. So we commit this year of Wellspring to you and uh, to you, Lord, who you're able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask according to the power of the work within us. To you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.